This episode contains mature content and may not be suitable for all ears. Access more. Hey there, this is Laura Williams, and it's my honor and privilege to bring you the Encountering You podcast. For those of you that are tuning in for the first time, I am a licensed professional counselor in Brentwood, Tennessee, which is right outside of Nashville. I manage a small private practice there where we work primarily with women in the field of trauma. But as always, if you're a man and you're listening to this, please don't turn it off. This information is applicable to males and females alike. So today, we want to talk about who protected you. When one parent is easily the identified villain in the family, and I use villain in quotations, right? Whether dad was an alcoholic or my mom raged or my mom was depressed, it's easy to give the other parent a pass as either the martyr or the savior of the family. But if a client comes in easily identifying one parent as the abuser, I always ask, well, where was mom? Or where was dad? When one parent is out of control, it is the job of the other parent to hold them accountable. This is also true of when a sibling is out of control and hurting another sibling, either physically or emotionally or sexually. But it is the job of a parent to protect their children at all costs. Children cannot protect themselves. And so it's a parent's job to do that. And in many ways, I really believe that in many instances, that's why God set marriage up to be to be two of us, right? <laughs> or set parenting up to be two of us. Because I know a lot of times, especially as a parent myself, it's hard. It's hard to always be on. And so when we think about having a spouse or having a partner— It's helpful because when we're out of control or when we are not healthy, it helps to have someone else there to say, hey, I don't know what's going on with you, but maybe, maybe I can give you a break or maybe I can help you out right now because I don't, I don't know that this is the best thing for, for our child. So when we think about just the role of parenting, it's important that If one parent is out of control, the other one holds them accountable. And I did another episode on this. So if you want to go back and listen to another episode about balancing roles of the parent, I go about that more in depth in that episode. But for today, we're going to talk about it just as why it's important for the child to actually have this as their narrative, that that my mom or my dad stepped in when my parent was unhealthy or abusive. So why is it important? Why, why is this important? So how we are protected as children teaches us how to do boundaries as adults, teaches us how to value ourselves as adults, okay? If we don't value ourselves, we don't set boundaries. We actually don't think we're worth setting boundaries for. 
and how we are protected as children also helps our relationships with our siblings. I think one of the hardest things that I see in counseling is when people come in as adults and they really have disjointed relationships with their siblings or they have relationships with their siblings that are too enmeshed, right? So one of the two, right? They're either really distant or really enmeshed. To me, it's a lot of evidence as to what what these kids had to do in order to kind of survive the dynamics of their parents. So what happens, right? So what happens in these? When I think about who's protecting you, and I ask a client like, okay, well, when mom was sleeping in bed and you were making dinner for your siblings, like, where was dad? Or when dad was too hungover on a Saturday morning to get up, what was mom doing? So these are all questions that are really important to kind of think about as you're navigating this topic. So what happens, right? What happens when a child is asked to have empathy for a parent or excuse a parent's behavior by another parent? This is harmful for the child. So a couple examples of this would be, dad's had a really hard day at work, so could you play quietly? I need you to play quietly. Well, Maybe as a teenager, you could play quietly, but if you're five years old and you're being asked to play quietly, that's really hard for a kid. It's really, really difficult for a young child to play quietly. And to be honest, when dad gets home, he might need like a couple minutes, but when dad gets home, he should be overjoyed to see his kids, right? There should be this amazing reconnection with your child at the end of a day. If you had that experience where when dad came home, I, we didn't, you know, he went back in his room and, or, you know, he would sit down and watch the news and we had to be quiet. This is a good example of a parent asking the child to change themselves instead of asking the parent to change themselves. Instead of mom holding dad accountable for being dysregulated when he comes home from work, we're asking a child to change their childlike behavior. Another example might be if mom, maybe mom is an alcoholic and she's sleeping late because she's hungover. Child is getting up on a Saturday morning and having to make their own breakfast. And by child, I mean young, right? Like, I mean, this is this is really common where I see people come in and be like, you know, I was making eggs for myself when I was eight years old. And again, not that an eight-year-old can't learn how to make eggs, but if that was the norm, if dad never interrupted and said, hey, mom, this is not healthy. This is not healthy and good, and this is hurting our child. If that never happened and it just was expected that you get up and let mom sleep and you make your own breakfast and occupy yourself till whatever time mom gets up, this is another space where dad should step in and protect you from that. Because children need a parent who's available and helpful and supportive and provides for their needs. Another example, like if dad is raging because he's had his own childhood trauma. 
Okay, this is another common, common example. Dad's out of control. Well, dad had a hard childhood, and so we just have to be really good. We just are going to have to be quiet until he he calms down. Okay, or this is just dad being dad. And moms can rage too. So this is, you know, I'm trying to be equal on, on the examples that I'm using, but you can put mom or dad in any of these scenarios and it's the same. But, oh, this is just what dad does and he's just going to have to calm down. Or you're just going to have to go play quietly for a while until dad calms down. It's not the child's job to do that. It isn't. It's the job of the other parent to say, hey, your behavior is inexcusable. And you're going to need to go get help for that. Now, again, with everything, right, there's always that caveat. So if you're listening to this and your spouse is really abusive, what I want you to do is make sure you're safe enough to do this. Because this is, this is a really fine line. So as always, I say, ask for help, ask for support as you're making changes in your life. So if you're listening to this as a parent and you're like, oh my gosh, that's me. I'm going to ask you to pause and make sure, like, am I safe enough to incorporate some of these changes, okay? And if you're not, you have to ask for help. Because again, we don't ever want to be in a situation where I'm not protecting my child because I want to stay in this relationship, or I'm not protecting my child because I I don't want anybody else to know, or I don't want to ask for support, or I feel scared. But again, to go back, like, If you grew up in a house where dad raged or dad was angry a lot, if you were expected to change your behavior in order to regulate dad, that is you not being protected. It creates a situation where the child believes they need to conform to what their parents need. And all the while, they're actually unable to do that. Children shouldn't have to do that. They are actually not able to give their parents what they need, okay? It creates confusion. And it also creates a false sense of power in the child because they actually really don't have the ability to fix their parents' problems. Me being quiet doesn't fix my dad's rage problems. Me learning how to cook breakfast on a Saturday morning doesn't solve my mom's alcoholism. So it gives the child this false sense that they have the power to change people when in actuality they don't. It takes another adult to step in and say, hey, you're out of control and I need you to help yourself and I need you to find help. It's always the parent's job to protect a child. It's never the job of the child to conform or change to meet their needs. I've said this before in in other episodes, and I'll say it again. The child did not decide to be here. The parents decided to get married, and they decided to have a child. The child was never the decision maker in this. If you're listening to this, and this is part of your story, that's what I want you to acknowledge to yourself. It was never your responsibility. You did not decide to be here. Is it sometimes tough to believe that Jesus wants you to have a joy that is so full, so real, so overflowing that you can't keep it to yourself? We live in a world where weariness, depression, and anxiety seem to fill up our lives. For many women, our calendars and plates are full. 
yet our lives are empty of joy. Jesus said that life doesn't have to be this way. In the new book, Overflowing Joy, author and Bible teacher Tara Dew walks us through how we can have the joy Jesus had and showed to his disciples, even in his darkest hour. A joy so full and so real, it's contagious. Overflowing Joy takes us on a journey straight through from Jesus' words in John 15. God's pruning, God's presence, and God's commands have the power to deliver a truly, fully, and genuinely joy-filled life, no matter the season or the circumstance. Overflowing Joy is available now at overflowingjoybook.com or wherever you buy books. The link is also in today's show notes. Another way this happens is like when a child feels bad for a parent because the other parent is out of control. You know, I'll say this is was a little bit of my story. Okay, for longest time, like I felt so bad for my mom because my dad was out of control. And I spent a lot of years blaming only my dad for everything. And when I realized like, oh my gosh, my mom had the responsibility to step in and say, hey, enough is enough. Like, you got you to gotta figure this out. This is harming our family and it's harming our kids, right? It like, it kind of blew my mind. And it's not that I don't have compassion for my mom. You know, my mom is an, she's an awesome woman and, and she did, she had a lot to deal with. She had four kids, a husband who was out of control, but she was codependent too, Okay, and so instead of like calling my dad out and telling him he needed to change, we would do things like be really quiet or make sure we had everything cleaned up when dad got home, right? So you can see where I'm going with this. Like when I feel so bad for my mom, I can't actually hold her responsible for not protecting us as kids. And I'm lucky enough, right? Like my side note is I'm lucky enough that my mom actually has done a ton of work and she actually realizes this, right? So as she's listening to this, because she listens to all my all my podcasts, all my episodes, she's done a lot of work on this. And she can even call it out in herself too. Like, I should have, I should have said something. I should have done something different there. But that's true. I know I've talked about this in a in another episode and my husband actually, he's like, can't you talk about me in a different way? You know, it's always an example of the things I'm doing wrong. You know, I talk about this in that, you know, one day we were all sitting at dinner and and he was putting his foot on my middle child's chair. And my middle child was like, dad, can you just move your foot? And he's like, ugh, I can keep my foot here. It's fine. It's fine. And in that moment, right, I had the choice to like either tell my middle child to be like, that's ah, fine. Just just let it be. Or I could take a minute to go, hey, honey, would you mind removing your foot? He's asking you to do that, and he actually has a right to the space around him. And we can be kind, and we can be honoring, but we also can hold them accountable for the places that they're really not right. Again, it's always the parent's job to protect the child. It's never the job of the child to conform or change to meet the needs of their parent. Also, this might show up when I feel bad for mom and dad because maybe a sibling is out of control. And I'm going to put out of control in quotes there because teenagers a lot of times look out of control because that's how they feel. 
A lot of times, if they're acting out or they're doing things that disrupt the family, it's not really because they want to. That's how they feel. And so if a parent is blaming how they feel, like if they're dysregulated or they're stressed or whatever, on the sibling, the other children in the family begin to blame the sibling too. And that's how we develop like scapegoats, right? And you can listen to the episode on roles of the family, but that's how we kind of develop this idea of a scapegoat is actually the way it should go is mom and dad need to get themselves under control so that they can be a support to their kids. So if you feel yourself, even as an adult, blaming a sibling for their parents being so stressed, it's never actually the case. It's never the child's responsibility to behave so the parents can be there for me. So if this is you and you're thinking about that, like, again, this is one of those things that kind of kind of breaks my heart as an adult, as a therapist, when I hear about sibling rivalry or sibling relationships as adults, it's hard because a lot of our dynamics as siblings is orchestrated by what our parents are doing, how they're handling the family, who they're blaming their dysregulation on. When a parent is out of control, I think it's hard for, especially Christian marriages, right? Because one of the things we're supposed to do is honor our spouse. And so a lot of people confuse honoring our spouse with being able to hold them accountable, okay? It's actually honoring to them to hold them accountable. Now, we don't want to be rude or disrespectful or shaming in how we handle holding our spouse accountable, okay? We want to do it in a way that feels graceful. But many people that I work with will talk about how, well, you know, I know my mom stood up for me, but it's always behind closed doors. Yeah. If you still feel responsible for how your parents interacted, doing it behind closed doors didn't do anything. Kids need to see you stand up for them. If a parent is being really out of control, it is your job, in a Christian marriage or not, to stand up for your child. It is not dishonoring to your spouse to do that in a kind and respectful way. It's actually dishonoring to not hold them accountable. So as we think through these things, what does it look like in adulthood, right? Like if if this happened to me, what are some signs that that might be true, right, in adulthood? Well, as you're listening to this, maybe you're a parent and you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, this is happening in my own family. I'm doing this with my spouse. Yeah, that can be really true. A lot of times we're going to repeat patterns. So it might be that you're doing the same thing with your spouse. You might be the quote-unquote helper in your relationships. If you're always the person stepping in and helping, if you're always the person stepping in and being the person who everybody looks to for support, this might be just a little bit of a clue that you kind of were the same person as a kid. You might have been the child who was always solving their parents' problems by being good or being quiet. Just be curious with yourself if you're the helper in most of your relationships. If you have a difficult time setting boundaries as an adult, 
And this is true of a lot of people. A lot of people struggle with boundaries. Okay, and that's why family of origin work is so important because it's where we learn how to set boundaries. Okay, so if you have a difficult time setting boundaries, just be curious with yourself. If your trauma isn't, doesn't feel obvious or you feel like there's one person to blame, right? I don't have healthy boundaries because my dad was an alcoholic. Okay, well, that's, that's half of the story. Yes, that's true. But the other half of the story is mom didn't help things either. If you're having trouble setting boundaries, my guess is that you also have trouble valuing yourself as well. Because if I'm not worth setting boundaries for, then why do it? And then the other thing to think about too is if you think boundaries are selfish, I would be curious with yourself. Boundaries are really healthy and they're good. They're actually not selfish at all. In fact, boundaries a lot of times are very unselfish because boundaries are about two people, two or more people actually. Think about if this episode like related to you in any way, if dad had set boundaries with mom or mom had set boundaries with dad, think about how good that it would have been for the family. It's actually not selfish at all. So my challenge today is, on the one hand, if you're a parent and you're identifying with this, like you're realizing, oh my gosh, this is part of my story, ask for support. And like I said earlier, if your relationship does not feel safe enough, whether emotionally safe enough, physically safe enough, don't just jump in and start to do this, okay? Ask for support. Find a counselor, go to a friend, a pastor, anybody, right? Like someone that you can trust to ask for support in this, okay? But this is important work. And if you're a parent and you realize you're the one out of control and you're asking your kids to be good or quiet, do that work for yourself. Hold yourself accountable. And then if you have a sense that this is a part of your story, if I'm talking and you're like, oh my gosh, that feels true for me. First thing I always have people do, acknowledge. Like just put your hand on your heart and let that little kid know, I see you and we're gonna figure this out. Because that little child needed to be protected. And so when we realize these things, we're also acknowledging that that now it's our job to do that. It's our job to protect the younger parts of us and then ask for help. So my prayer for you today, as always, is that God has used our time today to speak specifically and uniquely to you and that you can see yourself as a child in the way God sees you, as vulnerable, in need of protection, in need of love, in need of support, and that you can see the ways that you might need support today as an adult. And I pray for guidance and a sense of curiosity as you engage with your story. And God would bring you peace 
and comfort as you begin to unpack it. And I look forward to being with you next time on the Encountering You podcast. Is it sometimes tough to believe that Jesus wants you to have a joy that is so full, so real, so overflowing that you can't keep it to yourself? We live in a world where weariness, depression, and anxiety seem to fill up our lives. For many women, our calendars and plates are full, yet our lives are empty of joy. Jesus said that life doesn't have to be this way. In the new book, Overflowing Joy, author and Bible teacher Tara Dew walks us through how we can have the joy Jesus had and showed to his disciples, even in his darkest hour. A joy so full and so real, it's contagious. Overflowing Joy takes us on a journey straight through from Jesus' words in John 15. God's pruning, God's presence, and God's commands have the power to deliver a truly, fully, and genuinely joy-filled life, no matter the season or the circumstance. Overflowing Joy is available now at overflowingjoybook.com or wherever you buy books. The link is also in today's show notes.